wake up with the sun And struggle through the day And every passing moment Watch a lifetime slip away And never wonder why we let it go this far Yeah, these stage lights got me hot Introducing me to Anderson Pock is one of the best things you've ever done. Oh yeah, that that guy. Have you do you know anything about him like outside? Of, no. Have you done any research? Yeah. On him? Well, I watched a um, a short clip and CBS Sunday Morning. You know the old dude. Oh, they did a whole Anderson Pock on really? CBS, and uh, so I was like, I got to see what CBS had to say about this guy. And uh, I, I guess he went by like Breezy McSwag. You told me about this. And uh, had this whole different persona. And he said he spent the first 30 years of his <clears throat> life, I guess, trying to be what he thought everybody was wanting. Mm-hmm. And then he said, when I went back to Anderson Park, with came with the birth of his son. Right. So he had a kid, uh, got that perspective that being a parent will provide. Right. And then uh, uh, changed his, he went to Anderson Park, which is, you know, given name. And then that's when things changed for him when he like accepted more or less what he was versus what he was trying to be or for other people and i get then, that yeah and then that's that's how it all began and started working with dre all of a sudden and that's where everything took really off. yeah dre is responsible for anderson park uh wow yeah shouldn't be a shocker no not at all that's what that's what, he does. Does. <laughs> that's what he does <laughs> that's exactly he, what he, he does. digs up gold and polishes that stuff and makes it better mm-hmm that's awesome. Well, for anybody who hasn't listened to Anderson Pock, go YouTube uh, Tiny, Tiny Desk Concerts. The NPR, NPR Tiny Desk, yes. And look up Anderson Pock, uh, P-A-A-K, Anderson Pock, uh, and the Free Nationals. Mm-hmm. He's really, uh, he's the chillest guy ever. Yeah. The energy. The, yeah, the, so, so understand something. Like, if you listen to Anderson Pock on the radio, I think, if you never heard him before and you just you know didn't know who he was, if you listen to him on the radio, if you're like me at least, you know I'm kind of into a lot of di- different kinds of music, but maybe not as eclectic as you. Okay. I might not have loved his music. Maybe I would have. I'm not sure. But when you see the video of this dude, right? So he plays the drums mm-hmm. and sings, and presumably writes a ton of the music. You know, although obviously not all of it, which I think makes his band that much more attractive. Oh yeah. But, but he is. This amazingly energetic, positive, smiley little black guy that plays the drums and sings. And he's just remarkable. He's got this spirit about him that just makes you want to smile. And I send that to people. I send that to my friends ever since you've shown it to me. I send it to people and I'm like, hey, if you're having a bad day, just watch this. And it just makes you smile. And anytime I'm having a bad day, I, I play Anderson Pock and it just makes me happy. Oh, it's it's my like life hype song. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. It doesn't matter what I'm about to do. I'm just like, all right, let me throw this song on, and then I'll get in the rhythm. And before the first track ends, I'm like, I'm, I'm swaggering about. It's, it does. It, it gives off this really cool energy vibe. Music is funny that way. You know what I mean? Music is, 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 is sort of a source. It's, like a, uh, it's an emotional stimulus that goes right past your mood in a lot of situations and just affects you at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. It can change your mood you know, without you even having to analyze it or anything else. So to listen to someone that positive, and especially if you can watch the damn video and see him smiling ear to ear, the he's so ta- so the whole time, and he's so talented. He raps, he sings, and he's playing drums in these crazy funkadelic songs. Yeah, I was always impressed with Don Henley of the Eagles because that's one of the most uh, notable drummers who sings and sings. You know, well. I'll be honest, I don't know that I realized he played drums. Yeah, Don Henley's the drummer of the Eagles, and he's also the lead. Joe singer. Walsh, the guitar player. 
Joe Walsh, guitar player, um, the the head guy. Um, uh, forgive me. Uh, Don, Don Hanley, Joe Walsh, and hold on. The lead singer. Why are we so well, bad at this? Well, there's three lead singers. Well, because there's been like much. 11 members of the Eagles, man. That's too much. Joe Walsh actually wasn't Make an up original your mind. member. Well, they were notably one of the most feuding bands ever. Just dramatic. But anyways. But the Beach Boys were like that too. Don Henley was the drummer and the singer. But if you listen to a whole lot of Eagles, it's rock drums, you know. Boom, ch, doom, ch. This guy, uh-huh. when he's drumming, is doing a full-on beat. Mm-hmm. A high-tempo beat that is completely off with what he's now not singing necessarily, but rapping. Right. And it is literally playing two instruments wonderfully at the same time. Yeah, it's like Robert Johnson on the guitar. It's cr- it's absolutely insane. Or I, I really do. I, I see him like a, like a Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. That, that's really Very how I, so. I see him in that sort of spirit. Like, he's got that. He's a genius. I mean, he's just a full-blown genius. And you, this is one of the interesting sort of byproducts, I think, uh, or, or the components of the spiral that we talk about, you know, in life of this spiral of awakening is that when you start to wake up, you know, your third eye and, and you're able to create art, mm-hmm. then you start creating art and it makes you more awake. You know, you start to sense more and see more perspective as an mm-hmm. artistic person. And then the more awake you are, the more art you create and the better you get at it. So the more awake you become. And it's just like this self-perpetuating spiral of doing this. And you see someone like Anderson Pock or, um, or Jimi Hendrix and they're able to create things that are, like you say, you know, they, they can sing one thing and play a whole different rhythm over it, whether it's drums or guitar or whatever. And the, the, the genius it takes to do that necessitates, it demands that that person must obviously have a very different kind of brain, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think that's, that's interesting because I think that we're, we're sort of in a place where we need more people with these weird perspectives. Well, that's noted. That's fact. Think about any famous genius in the music world they were always in a way with out there they they thought differently than the normal mm-hmm. like i mean i guess you could say like johnny cash to some degree was kind of an every guy mm-hmm. but most famous musicians are not everyday you don't relate to them like i bet we do the same thing on tuesday right you know what i mean like they're a different breed and i wonder if there's any literature or anything on like what that is if anybody's put any thought behind well, this is the type of thing that I'm so interested in and what I'm working on building my, uh, you know, my uh, sort of personality analysis uh, models together mm-hmm. is looking at, you know, and you know this, uh, you've had to listen to a lot of me rambling about this, but uh, analyzing, you know, if a person's uh, got a good sense of humor, mm-hmm. it typically means they're more sexual, you know, especially in females, right? Like that's just a two character components that I see almost everywhere to be correlated in some way. Yeah. Right. There also seems to be a correlate there between sense of humor and a broader understanding of things. Sort of a, you find a lot more of your salespeople, male and female, a lot more of your sort of customer service people. The people who are people people have a better sense of humor. They usually have a more eclectic music taste. True. They usually have a, a more of an appreciation for art in some form or another. Uh, you know, people with a sense of humor are more likely, I would think, to listen to music driving down the road you know, or be interested in, in breaking down movies or looking at paintings or just beautiful things. And you think of people who have less of an eclectic taste, who are a little more cold physically and affectionately and all that stuff. These are all correlated personality traits. And so I think that you can look at how musical someone is and how they're how well they're able to break down different kinds of music and put weird, crazy stuff together that no one else could. 
And just from a neuroscience standpoint, a behavioral psychology standpoint, I think it's interesting to look at those and build character models. Absolutely. Because I don't think there's more than about 25 or so character models of the whole human race. Like you can pretty much, everybody's different and got their own nuance and stuff. But, but I we think all fall into, we all fall into about one of 25 different character models. And once you learn to navigate those, you can start looking at the nuance beyond that and how to identify them quicker. And then you can, once you understand that model, you can actually start to understand some pre-configured bridges of understanding that you can create between yourself and those types of people. You go, okay, I've, I've done enough of the assessment here. I think you're probably sort of this model of person. You're probably coming from somewhere like this. Maybe if we're having a disagreement, if I want to get to know you, now I can understand how to build where, where I'm building this bridge of understanding to. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a lot of the models I've put together on character analysis or, you know, from looking at people like uh, th these great artists and stuff. And I find we do it with especially musicians, bridge of understanding, because a musician's trying to convey emotion with his music. They want you to connect to their song, right? And the good ones put themselves into it. So I guess those people are good at making the bridge to you. It's whether or not you respond to it. Yep. You know what I mean? Because yep. they're making something that they're trying to connect and resonate. That's that's what the audience is ultimately there for. And they're, they're basically casting a big net. Mm -hmm. They're casting a big net, you know, and I think that's when you, when you start creating music, and you and I have had this conversation, when you start creating music, you kind of have to push past this barrier of, you know, no one's going to get this. No one wants to hear this. No one's going to understand this because if the thoughts are in your head and this just goes back to sort of the, the idea that we, we only fit into one of about 25 or so different character models. I'm, I'm just pulling that number out of nowhere. It could be 30, it could be 20, but it's a, it's a fairly small amount. When yeah. we think about the complexity of 7 world? billion people, you know, we think of ourselves as being pretty complex, but I don't think we're, we are, we're nuanced, right? Because you can keep getting more and more focused on our emotional state, you know, and say, well, he's a pretty nice guy. He's pretty patient. But when it, within that patient's, uh, you know, sort of character department, he's patient with work situations, he's patient with life goals, but he's not very patient with his friends, and he's not very patient with these types of situations. So it's sort of a fractal system that you, you know, you can keep looking at it closer and closer and closer, and it gets more and more detailed. But by and large, people fit into about one of 20 or so different categories. And artists throw this big wide net out there. They're like, hey, I'm going to put out a song, and maybe a million people buy that record. But think about it, a million people out of 330 million in the U.S. or 7 billion on the planet, it's a pretty small group. This goes to show you, you can pretty much attempt just about anything, and you're going to capture the attention or gain the admiration of, of somebody if you put your heart into it. Yeah, I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, and it, it's about conveying a message. It doesn't matter what media, we're talking music, it could be a movie, it could be a book, it could be... Uh, um, you could uh, be a writer and you're trying to convey a message. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Bridge a gap to whomever is willing to, because I think we all can find something. I mean, I'm sure me and Hitler had something that like right. we had in common in some strange way. Like, sure. and he, you know, is a, a polar opposite of a person you wouldn't want to. Bridge. You guys both like dogs. Like, you yeah. both like dogs. Exactly. I know that's true. So JC confesses to being Hitler on live podcast radio the point and on that note we're gonna take a break be right back ladies and gentlemen all right we are back um and we were talking about jc being like hitler and having something in common with everybody sorry about that so that was completely inappropriate and entirely too soon but aside from that um we're going to switch gears a little bit i wanted to talk about this uh youtube channel called spirit science I'm going to give these guys a big plug here. I don't know them, 
I've never met Jordan, the guy that does the uh, channel. And I've never talked to him or anything. That would be something. I He's God. Um, so here's the thing. So I got to throw this out there first. That I always talk sort of defensively about everything I bring up. I'm so used to watching people get beat over the head. Usually it's me. For, for, for talking about anything controversial or anything woo-woo or pseudoscientific or whatever. So here's the thing. In, in my view, like if you understand empirical science, like Francis Bacon, sort of the progenitor of the scientific method, said like this is how we need to do science. We do this you know, five-step mm-hmm. process, and it's got to be empirically, you know, physically provable and repeatable and all this. And that's such a beautiful thing, and there's no question about like the contributions of the scientific method to science. But the problem is that there are some things that we have to acknowledge. There are some things that are not really physical and they're not really objective that really matter in the world, right? Like your state of happiness is not scientifically measurable. No. It's just not. Um, but it matters, right? If our happiness doesn't matter, then what the hell does, does anything being true even matter, mm-hmm. right? So truth, in my view needs to be understood um, in its relation to human happiness, right? So I've got, a, I've got a book on the bookshelf right over here that I, I used to read with my kids. It's by Richard Dawkins called uh, The Magic of Reality. And if anybody's never read that book, I mean, uh, you, you should. It's a good book. But it's called The Magic of Reality, How We Know What's Really True. And then it's Richard Dawkins in his, all his glory, super left-brain scientist, empirical materialism is everything. There is no life after death. He's positive of this can't imagine what scientific evidence he has to back that up but he's he definitely preaches that there is no life after death and that's fine he's a big hero was a big hero of mine for most of my life but what the guy what the guy jordan over at spirit science does is he says look i'm not going to tell you this is true right but give it a listen with an open mind see if it makes any sense to you Mm -hmm. see if there's anything about it that resonates with you and if and if it does then then go look into it yourself and see where it takes you and then he gets into a lot of spiritual woo-woo stuff. And then he ties in some modern science, too. And you don't beat him up over each point. You know, you look at the big picture and see how it's going. Yeah, he moves quick. And then he tells you, if you want to know more about this, and then he'll give you a recommendation if you want to take a deeper dive. And he provides that. But what he's doing is is for somebody like me, who's a lot of spirit science for me was like the first time hearing about a lot of this right. information. And it just kind of, it's a little bit overwhelming at times. You're taking in all this information, but it's cool that throughout, he's like, all right, here's how you learn more. And then I can go get on my computer and then dive into more of that stuff. But the way that they just like bring you up to speed mm-hmm. really fast and articulate and the way they do in the animation is fantastic. I think that for me, the way I learn, if it was just audio, I don't right. know if it would hit me as much as the brilliant. The animation is unreal. Yeah. The animation is unreal. And the little nuances, you know, you pointed out to me, if you see the videos, and he's got this little little animated Thoth character. Uh, well, he's got Patch, I guess, is the guy. Yeah. It's not Thoth. Yeah, I'm thinking of a, one of his videos in particular. But he's got this little character that sort of narrates. He's like this little patchwork character. Looks like the guy from Little Big World. Yeah, kind but of. But he's like all blue or green or something. Like blue. Mm-hmm. I think he's blue. But his name is Patch, I guess. And he speaks from behind this podium when he's narrating, you know, for parts of it. And... He's got like a flower of life, like sacred geometry on the front of the podium. And I hadn't noticed this, and you told me about it. Mm-hmm. But You'll it, see it every time. It started, day, oh, sure, now I'll notice it. And if you've ever watched it and not noticed, but if you understand sacred geometry, uh, reality starts with a circle, and then it moves to a vesica Pisces, like two overlapping circles, like in a Venn diagram. 
and then it goes to like a triad from there, and then it spreads out into this flower of life. But what JC was telling me is that at the incrementally through the episode, as they progress through the storytelling process and they progress through the yeah, events I, or whatever. I, I imagine what each happens? episode has uh, a meaning to it. And as I don't know as much about each specific symbol, when you watch it, knowing more about it, I think they they change it pertaining onto the subject matter. Because sometimes he's like, all right, here, we're going to go on a deep dive. And then it might be like really elaborate. Right. You know, and, and all of these circles combine to make this really intricate detail. But at the beginning of the episode, it might just be, you know, a few circles or just a circle. He's so detailed. He's so detailed. So uh, the guy that makes this, his name is Jordan. I don't, I don't know anything else about him. But man, what an interesting character. This guy's got, you know, he's, he's, uh, He's on he's on he's on several different levels at once and he they're they're all ab- above my head but he's he's got a beautiful mind and a beautiful heart he seems like somebody who uh, I've seen a lot of people attacking him on online I saw it you know yeah. you can imagine scientific types that are like this is bullshit guys dedicating all their time to like spirit science sucks you know it's like at what point do you just say like this guy's trying to do good and he's making a difference in people's lives and he's making people happier um and people like Richard Dawkins would say, "Well, I don't care. It's like it's you know, if it's not true, it's not true." Yeah. But it's like if it's not true, but it's making everybody happy and it's not doing anyone any harm, like isn't this a net positive thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, he was getting attacked, and I think I think that's where the, back to bring the wagons full circle to the Francis Bacon thing, taking the empiricism, you know, as as the only line of evidence that matters. The material evidence and, and taking all the immaterial out of things seems to me that to fly in the face of the great philosophers of the past, even the ones that we don't even argue about, like Plato and Aristotle and you know and uh, um, Socrates and even you know even Newton not being really a philosopher as much, but these guys he was into alchemy, you know he was into astrology, and we just kind of throw all this stuff out. And I think all that spirit science really is trying to do is get people to realize that. If the greatest minds that we still quote today, the greatest minds of the past, were talking about, you know, uh, esoteric things and occult teachings and astrology and alchemy, um, maybe they're worth the investigation, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe if, if, if the astrology thing and the spirituality thing, the chakral alignment and all that stuff, maybe if, if, it, if, it, if, it, if it's helping hundreds of millions of people around the globe, maybe there's something to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's immeasurable you know you were talking about you don't know how he knows that there is no life after death i i feel like a lot of scientists because they can't prove there is that's enough proof that there isn't yeah they 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 need proof which i get right but in in the absence of proof i'll take evidence Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i'll take evidence and the evidence um that uh the, the spirit that spiritual energy or metaphysical energy exists and is worth measuring and is worth taking note of and that it's, it's possible to measure and and that's really what what my work on the on that side of it is is outside of talking to people that's what I want to do is to help demonstrate that this is a measurable thing yeah. right and using computer formula and stuff like that and quantifying fields of 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 behavioral psychology and neuroscience and connecting all these things you know we know that hey crazy dog we know that uh that you know if you if you take in a certain amount of calories and then you go run a mile we can measure the amount of calories you burn mm-hmm. right they've even talked about you know we've all seen those memes and stuff where they say it, like it takes you know 20 calories to smile and 50 calories to frown or whatever yeah so i mean calories are units of energy you know and i think we can 
We may not be able to measure the units themselves like in the brain at the neurochemical level, but we can measure the outcome. And that's essentially what kind of calculus is, as I understand it, <clears throat> is, is when you're missing a middle part of the equation, you know, you can kind of measure the outcome of something and you can tell what was going on in the middle. Yeah. You know, and you could say, well, you know, this person ate all these things in a given day and he, and he experienced all these kinds of metaphysical interactions during a given day. Mm -hmm. And his, his character set to begin the day was, you know, this, and you quantify a dozen different fields, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and some circumstantial stuff. And you can tell what his output's going to be in life. And you can start to see that you twiddle the knobs a little bit, starting at the intent, at the level of intent in the mind. And you can start having a, a dramatic difference on your life. And it's not physical. You know, there's nothing physical about the intent in your mind. No. I mean, this is the, this is the, the singularity within, within self that, that is irreducible. You know, you can't, you can't measure that. Well, what, where, where does the intent come from? Sam Harris has a, is it Sam? yeah, Sam Harris, I think, has a little thought experiment. And I love him. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's, he's a brilliant guy, and I, he's, he's, got, he's got half the picture. Um, but uh, he says, like, pick any, name any movie that you can think of. Just, like, name one. Me? Yeah. Name? Name okay. a movie. Any movie. Uh, we'll go Star Wars. Star Wars, right? Okay. So his argument is that, that you can't explain why you picked Star Wars in, in a way that explains willpower the, or, or um, free will. You know, you can't explain free will. If I ask you, why did you pick that that movie? I can demonstrate to you that you don't have free will. So why did you pick that movie? Uh, because I just saw one recently, and uh, I keep it's coming up in my thought process more often than any other movie. It's the last movie I saw. So Right. I don't know. I guess that was the first one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was the first one that came to mind, but why, why didn't you instead go... Here's the first one that came to mind. I'm not going to pick that one. I'm going to wait a few more seconds and think of five more, and I'm going to pick the fourth one. Why didn't you play that game in your head? I don't know. I guess that seemed like a lot of unnecessary energy to answer a, a open-ended question. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I started to, and then I was like, no. Yeah. Just be impulsive. I don't. Right. Know. You know. And so there's the, no. I can't explain. At the end of the, it's it's irreducible. You can't. You can't explain that yeah you know, that, that's where the self happens that's where the connection to the all you know that, that's where all of the, the convergence of all of our all of our inputs and in our in our existence and our dna you know mm -hmm. and, and and everything comes into into a singularity and that's where you can't explain free will you can't explain intent you know we kind of just are and that's why sam talks about you know the it's always now, right? Focus on the moment now and how you feel now because the all you can do is sort of accept what happens to you, you know, make the best decisions you can and free yourself from the stress of worrying about things that may never happen, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, at the end of the day, we're all doing the best we can. You take the free will out of life and you realize we're sort of programmed. All we have is our intent and the, and the, spirit, the spiritual experience we allow ourselves to have right now. Anyway... I wandered off on that, but well, no, I mean, I, I, I think what I'm taking from it is really go back to the movies and why I didn't break down and think of more and then make a decision with a little bit more um, thought process behind it is because just as of recently, I have learned to quiet my mind in the sense that I've spent a lot of time worrying about hypothetical situations right. of an upcoming event. 
You know, it's like, okay, if I think about the best case scenario and the worst case scenario, if it falls somewhere in between, at least I have a game plan. And then like something happens that has nothing to do with anything that you had from where's the best that you could come up with in your mind. And it was a waste of energy. And mm-hmm. I would be stressful, uh, anxious, uptight. I, you know, didn't have as much time to just be in the moment that I was in at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was somewhere else scheming and I've put a lot of energy in my life to overthinking situations and I think the more that I am in the moment right the more that I'm on like a pace with where I'm at emotional wise with my happiness level with my intent of what I'm doing is am am I using the moment I'm in to its maximum potential I guess Mm -hmm. versus let me stay in here and think and think and think which then I would find uh you know all of these negative so the once I got rid of it anyway the the ability to focus, be more creative, be happier. I mean, better at work, sleep better. All of that stuff started to kind of come along with it. And I've stuck to it now. And things keep happening in my world that are positive. Exactly. You're, you're, attracting, you're attracting what you're putting out. Yeah. And you're, it's like we talked about you. And we've had a couple of Instagram lives in the, couple, in the last couple of days where people have asked twice now, when I say, you know, what, what do we want to talk about? And people say, you know, how to stay p- positive, how to, how to keep yourself in a positive mindset mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and that's maybe the most important question you can ask in life. It's certainly one of the most important. You make, you make better decisions. Oh yeah. From a, from a positive, from a positive mindset, right? You're not making a, a decision from a decision from a, a panicked mindset. You know, you're balanced. You're, you're looking at, well, you know, here, here's a negative potential outcome. Here's a positive let me weigh that out nice in a nice measured way. I'm not doing this out of panic and fear. I'm going to think about these things, you know, nice and and level-headed. And the it, it all starts with uh, with mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you you can't attack negative reactions in your mind and in, in your in your subconscious and all that without bringing them to your conscious, you know, becoming conscious of them, right? Being aware. And like I talked about earlier, we um, when I did this, this exercise myself and started practicing mindfulness every day and trying to every so often, every time I thought about it, I would just make myself aware of what emotion, what emotional state I was in, which is to say, what were my spirits at? Like, where were my spirits in that moment? Cause that's really what, where mind, body and spirit, we talk about that to anyone who doesn't realize, I mean, your mood is your spirit, your attitude, your mood, this is all the same thing. So use whichever term is, is most, um, relatable, I guess. relatable yeah. to you, whatever resonates with you the best. But when you become aware of spiritually aware, aware of your state of spirit, of your mood, um, emotionally, this is just you know psychology. There's nothing woo-woo about this. No. And I think that's what the spirit science thing, to bring that again full circle, that's what I like is that he just presents it saying, look, call it what you want. Mood, spirit, attitude, you know, whatever. But if you think about it like this, check your mind, body, and spirit. Call it mood and, and physical health and mental health, whatever you want to do. Uh, and once I became more aware of my, my, my mood every day, I realized that the number or the number one emotion by far that I was feeling all the time was frustration with myself. Yeah. That's crazy. I never would have thought that. I, that was a weird thing for me. I would, I would wake up late and be frustrated, right? Mm-hmm. Have something happen at work and I'd be frustrated, you know? Be short and snappy with my kids and be frustrated with myself, you know? Forget my wallet somewhere and be frustrated with myself. And just realized that I walked around every day all day frustrated with myself. Absolutely. And then getting frustrated with other people. So then I started to realize that if you're getting frustrated with other people, uh, 
being aware of, of who those people are and what mm-hmm. how much importance you're putting on that relationship in your life, that's the next step. Absolutely. You know, you have a relationship with your job, and if that's where 70% of your stress is coming from, then you need to have a look at that relationship and decide do you fight, flight, or fix, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I find, uh, um, I see it a lot of people, myself in my own personal life, uh, this is one, so relationships with people that cause a whole lot of uh, stress that, you know, might be your sibling or your parent or something like that, that it's harder to just drop all of that and cut it. So uh-huh. then you have to figure out where you're letting all of that negativity in that relationship occupy your brain and going, do I want to waste the energy on it? Or do I want to decide to use that part of my brain? It's almost like an exercise in self-control on how you want to use your thoughts. And do you want to waste time? Hold on. So hold on. I want to absorb that. An exercise in self-control and in how you use your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, you're right. That that that's your intent. That's your your intent is your your sort of that spotlight inside your brain is kind of how I picture it. Yeah. And it's shining a light inside your head at different thoughts and different ideas. And you only have one spotlight, you know? Mm-hmm. Or it can also I've also described it as that librarian in your brain that runs and grabs the book that you need Absolutely. and brings it back, you know, and that's why the filing systems in, in the human brain need to be adequate because you have a library a librarian and they're running around grabbing books off the shelf. Amateur. Sorry. <laughs> my, my, my ringer's on too. My, my ringer's totally on. My phone is now off the table. Yeah, yeah same. Um, no, but I love the library, the library in your brain. It's a good. It's, that's it's fantastic, good man. But that's, that's, that's what I figured out. It's, it's a, Exercising self-control in the sense that how you use your thoughts. Where, what, which missions do you send a librarian on? Uh, me personally. Well, but that's what it's about, though. That's what that's what you mean. The, the controlling what you do with your thoughts is essentially the same as just controlling, determining which missions you send your librarian on. Which I, thoughts do you want her to go grab? I guess I'm sending her less and less on missions and more and more on where am I right now in the moment. Now, when I'm having a conversation like we are right now. I'm going and getting knowledge and I'm constructing. But if I'm just um, alone at work, doing my thing, driving down the road, I'm not thinking as much. I'm not going and taking old memories or things that I'm worried about anymore and filling my brain with that. That's interesting. I am more or less feeling it's like the moment that I'm in. You're hanging up tapestries in your brain and it's which tapestries do you hang up? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we, uh, I, I took down the Five Nights at Freddy's poster out of, out of my kid's room. Oh, yeah. You know, with all, all the discussion of mindfulness in the house and filling your head with positive thoughts and all that stuff, my oldest actually was like, hey, Dad, can we take that thing down? You know? Yeah. And they loved having it up. But it's, it's, it's which thoughts do you fill your brain with? Do you fill them with positive things, with beautiful things, you know, like... Uh, you know, sacred geometry or just nature paintings, things that are natural and beautiful or you know, even even cool, positive stuff, you know, your favorite superhero. Mm-hmm. But I mean, do you really want, you know, demonic looking figures or these these destroyed? Because, you know, looking at a beautiful, natural, wholesome image has an impact on the brain. And looking at a picture of a toy with his eyeball ripped out with tears all over his body. I mean, these have, you know, these have uh, repercussions in the spirit. Oh, yeah. And then they become physical. I mean, it's no. a proven fact. If you walk into a room, the room's solid red, your body temperature will literally rise. Really? Your brain says hot. 
I didn't know that. Associ- there, there's whole studies on oh, it. Oh, I believe you. I wrote a paper in uh, college on the color yellow and all the effects of that color. We all had a different color. If you walk into a room opposite of that, that's solid blue, you'll almost feel a little bit cold. Huh. Your surroundings, and especially color on the primary level, totally affects your mood. Um, at the daycare, they put in a new tile when I was working there, and it was yellow and red tile, alternating, like a oh checkerboard. And the kids went bananas. It was overstimulating. And the behavior in the rooms, it got they were, there were more activity, more wildness, more rambunctiousness. And they ended up having a consultant come in a year or so later. And the first thing she said was like, you have got to tone down the color in here. Wow. It's way too overstimulating. I mean, it 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 affects us. Yeah. No, on I think a, it on does. On a physical level. And, th- dude, this was uh, you know, a whole conversation I wanted to have about, um, just now just now came into mind, about, about the importance of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. The importance of your surroundings on your spirit. Um, you know, everything from the colors, which is a big thing, chromotherapy, you know, light therapy, um, wearing certain colors, putting certain colored sheets on your bed, certain color light bulbs in your house, and what you're saying. Um, I mean, I knew that, like, in the esoteric circles and stuff, this stuff all is is understood, but I didn't, you're saying that scientific studies have been done on that. Yeah. feel a little bit silly for not having heard that, but I appreciate the uh, the info. I didn't realize that, but that... That goes right along with everything that you know, esoteric people say about um, you know, chromotherapy and stuff. Yeah. And aromatherapy being the same way, which is why you, they put it in every... They don't put it in every spa out there in the world for no reason. You know, the candles and the incense and all that stuff. Yeah. It, well, then there's the whole you are. You're the five people you surround yourself with. You know, we take on... In so many ways, there's so many little sayings that, you know, what it, you surround yourself with. Like we talked about earlier, before I could do a piece of art, I had to, I had to have a clean calm setting you know if there were dishes in the sink or clothes and that need to be folded and stuff my brain wasn't gonna right you know i needed to be it all it all matters it all matters but the uh the importance of architecture i think in that when you're talking about your surroundings and colors and all that stuff the impact they have on the eyes you know and uh, arguably even other other things that are that are a lot more woo woo but architecture you know seeing imagine students today uh, sitting in these square classrooms with square ceiling tiles, square floor tiles, mm-hmm. square desks, square whiteboards, square, you know, whatever they have, LED projectors, screens, or whatever. Yeah. Or square, they have uh, Square iPads. <laughs> you know, and if you understand left and right brain, you know, principles and, and characteristics and all that, you know that, you know, this is a very male, very left-brained, rigid, straight-line, structured sort of setting. It's a very, very, very specific setting. You're encouraging and empowering and exposing these kids to nothing but left brain, straight line, masculine structure. And, you know, no no right brain curves, no no feminine curves, nothing that sort of encourages the growth of the right brain, which is control of the emotions, mm-hmm. control of spirit. And that's why, why, you know, some people say we've lost connection with spirit. I say we've lost connection with our emotions and our ability to handle those things properly. And if you're more spiritual, you can say we've disconnected from spirit. But we, it's, we've gotten to a point where we all kind of just need to start understanding that when we hear someone talk about spirit, we're talking about their mood, their emotions, and all that. And it comes from the architecture. It comes from the way we build buildings, the way we have, you know, looking uh, chapels and old cathedrals and stuff. And they had like this big, you know, sacred geometry everywhere. Yeah. You know, like a damn Da Vinci painting. Everything was done in the Renaissance was done with sacred geometry. And it encouraged the Enlightenment. You know, I mean, I've got an Assassin's Creed poster right there, and you just there's 
sacred geometry all in it and there's domes and round stuff and you know towers we've we've gotten to the point where we do uh manly p hall um one of my favorite people in the world author old freemason guy he talked about it you know we we've gotten to where we just build the cheapest like cubic structures we can whether it's skyscrapers you know i think there's some architecturally interesting skyscrapers but for the most part office buildings hospitals even our homes are pretty squared for the most part Mm -hmm. you know schools are all very square the building itself the roof you know most of them are very square and that's why you end up with what you end up with that's all i want to do that's all i want to do we uh we can talk more about sacred geometry later we can do uh more on music later this is kind of just to give you guys an idea of uh some of the the rambling that can go on your input is appreciated. Absolutely. And um, make sure that you like and subscribe and share. Check us out on the uh, the Instagram at shamanic.philosophy um, and shamanicphilosophy.com. New website as of the filming of this, uh, December 19th. New website coming very, very soon. Uh, check back in a couple weeks. It might be there. Make sure you subscribe, follow on Instagram and all that. Appreciate you guys so much. May the light be with you. May life be within you. May you be a son on the paths of all men. God bless you guys. Have a good week.